Howdy, Fat Guy Forum listeners. Before we get into this week's episode, just a reminder that there is a great way for you to support the podcast and keep it going, and that's by joining the Fat Guy Forum Patreon that you can find at patreon.com slash gourmetgoesketo. I use all the funds from the Patreon to go for the subscriptions and equipment that are used on the podcast, and if you join now, you will have the opportunity to be a part of helping decide the direction of the podcast as we dive into some new topics and try out a few new things. So I look forward to having you on board. Sign up today. What is up, Fat Guy Forum listeners? One of the biggest complaints I get is that the sound sucked on the first early episode. So since I had some tech issues with this week's recording, I figured why not dive back in and do some editing on those original episodes, try to get that sound a bit better up to snuff. And actually, I decided to piece those first two episodes together into one big episode because I think it just makes sense. So I'm excited for, if this is your first time hearing them, to check out my very first two episodes of the Fat Guy Forum. Enjoy. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to the second episode ever of the Fat Guy Forum. I'm your host, Gourmet. I hope you're having a fantastic day whenever you get to hear this. Today, we're going to dive a little deeper into a specific topic versus something general like the intro episode, which you've hopefully listened to already. That's episode one. This is episode two. And I'm calling this my 540-pound life. Um, Obviously, that's a play on the TV show, My 600-Pound Life, which is on the TLC network. I'm sure a lot of you have seen that. It deals with the lives of super morbidly obese people getting help. Um, They get help through surgery. That's great. We're going to talk about surgery someday down the line, but not today. That's not something I've ever done. Um, What we are going to talk about today is what life was like for me at 540 pounds. That's right. My heaviest weight ever was 540 pounds uh, that I know of, um, that I saw on a scale. My current weight is 230 pounds, so there's a little bit of a difference there. Life's a little bit different. Today, though, I I, I don't necessarily want to talk about the differences. I want to dive into what it's like to live at 540 pounds, so what it's like to live at over 500 pounds. Um, One of the purposes of this podcast is to explore the experience of fat guys, um, to explore what we go through um, that we might not talk about. And so today, I want to get into some topics that I I think will be things that we don't normally think about when it comes to size, weight issues, um, and also are things you might not think about if you're someone who has 10 pounds to lose, 20 pounds to lose, heck, 100 pounds to lose. Um, Life is different when when you're, I like to say, too big for the world. Um, and I don't mean that in a, in a judging mean way. Um, I mean that as an honest perspective as someone who's been there. Um, just like, let's, let's start with um, my dimensions when I was 540 pounds. I'm five foot 11. Um, I think at that point, I might even have been a little closer to 5'10", um, you know, depending on how everything curved and gravity worked. Um, but 5'11", at that point, my waist, uh, when measured at my largest, uh, was over 80 inches, was, was closer to 84 um, inches. My chest was around 68 inches. My neck, my neck was 27 inches. So think about that. Think about that. You might be listening to this. If you're an average size man um, in the United States, 
Uh, well, the average male in the United States over the age of 20 has a waist closer to 40. But I think when we think about average waist size, we think more in like the 32 range. My neck was starting to get to be the size of some people's waists. Um, I had a friend with a 28-inch waist who used to say um, that I could wear his pants as shirts eventually. Um, at least the waist band. Um, my thighs were over 40 inches. They were closer to 45 um, at, at my largest. And that's why if you see pictures of me now, um, there's loose skin. Because all that mass has to go somewhere. It's all contained in your body. It's all being held in by that container of skin. And when it goes away, things change. Um, living with a waist that big, a, a stomach that big, a boulder attached to your body is, is very different. Um, having a chest that large, um, your arms sit differently. So the physics of the human body is something for us to think about first. Like, what, what does it mean to um, move at that size and navigate that body? And literal navigation is the idea that I, I think we need to think about. One, moving the body. Um, one, I can tell you it wasn't easy. It certainly wasn't easy. And that obviously has a lot to do with the condition you're in and all of those pieces. But I was not the, you know, power lifter who went from 350 to 500. I was not, you know, a runner who gained a massive amount of weight really quickly. I, I lived most of my life as a big fat guy and I acted that way. I was your typical couch potato, um, avoid movement if I could person, uh, which contributes to a lot of the issues I ended up having, but um, also affects, you know, one, how rapidly you can gain weight and two, um, how well you carry that weight. Yes, my legs are strong and we're strong, obviously, to be able to stand. But at my heaviest, I could probably stand for about five minutes without being in searing pain. See, my back specifically, um, searing pain. Like to the point that if I kept trying to stand, I probably would have collapsed. Um, so think about that. Think about what you do in five minutes when you're standing. Um, do you stand in front of the stove when you're cooking? Do you stand to brush your teeth? Do you stand to get dressed, to put your pants on, put your shirt on? Are you standing when you're drying yourself after the shower? Those things can all take more than five minutes. So I didn't do them standing. I had chairs strategically placed around my home. So I would have a seat uh, when I was doing whatever I needed to do. I even had a heavy duty stool in the shower. Now let's, speaking of the shower, let, let's talk about hygiene and cleaning your body we're, I guess we're we're skipping over some of the lighter topics I'm gonna go right to the heavier stuff no pun intended um, taking care of a body that large is not easy you see it often on the shows like my 600 pound life or, or things along those lines where you wonder why there's skin discoloration and some of that has to do with circulation and some of it has to do with poor hygiene the buildup of dead skin um, not getting the scrubbing that it needs um, those things happen when you're that big and you have trouble physically reaching your body yourself. It's a shameful thing to think that you're at a point where you might need help taking care of your own body like that. And there are, are people that deal with that and, and live with it every day. Uh, you see it on TV shows. You, you may know someone and have someone in your family that you love, or it may be you. It may be you. And, and I know what it's like to be near that point of saying, I can't do this alone anymore. Um, when I showered, I... I 
the king size homer episode of the simpsons bart simpson makes the joke about washing himself with a rag on a stick it's not a joke sponges on sticks become your best friends uh they help you reach the areas that you just physically can't reach they help you get into the nooks and crannies um, when you're that large you have rolls and folds on your body that the average person might not think about places you need to keep clean and you need to keep dry you need to keep them clean and dry because that's where bacteria can live and infections can happen and rashes start and those things can be hard to deal with at my heaviest i dealt with a skin infection once that nearly laid me out um it was something similar to a mercer infection and it was pretty terrible and i know that it was related to not only my size probably my blood sugar levels have a big impact on how you handle infections and also my hygiene at that size those are challenges things to think about so washing myself in the shower okay you know sponges on sticks loofahs those things are all great um, you actually can buy oversized towels because a regular sized towel is not going to wrap around your body um, even the bath what do they call them um, bath sheets Bath sheets were too small for me still. They still look like uh, they were a hand towel in relation to my body. So I had to get some special towels that were incredibly expensive. And cost is something to think about in this, in, in this life when you're that size. We'll talk about that. But the other side of hygiene is, is something I don't think we talk about a lot. And that's bathrooms, using the bathroom. One of the things that was impossible for me at 540 pounds, and is this going to be where we go into TMI territory? It might be. So you don't want to hear about that. Uh, you can skip ahead. You can skip ahead. Um, at 540 pounds, I could not physically stand to urinate. Just wasn't possible. One, obviously, we talked already about the exhaustion issue, the stamina. Two, let's start to think about how the body is made up, you know, where the fat forms on the body, what happens. Um, I very frankly say that my body was deformed by fat at that size. It was deformed. Your body, when, you're, when you're continuing to eat and grow, your body has to find places to put the fat and to grow the cells. And it can happen all over the place. Um, so it truly affected my ability to, to stand to go to the bathroom. I had to sit to go to the bathroom every time I went, which was better for me because exhaustion. But going to the bathroom and taking care of yourself after going to the bathroom are two different things. I remember very clearly as a kid, I was watching a talk show and there were some very large people on it. And Dick Gregory, who was a diet guru in the 80s, he was also a social activist. And then he became a diet guru. He had these people on it. He made a joke about arms being too short to box with God, which I guess is a southern phrase. I've never had never heard it before at that point. And arms too short to box with God means that you can't reach to wipe yourself. You can't wipe yourself when you're going to the bathroom. Think about that. You're having to reach around. I had an 84 inch waist, 84 inches having to reach around to get to my butt crack, to get there to clean. It was not easy. It was not comfortable. And it was something that I managed to do best at home. At home, it was easier to get to the angles I needed to get to. I also, at home, kept a couple silicone kitchen spoons that I would wrap in toilet paper and use as an extension. And they actually sell devices that are assistive devices to help. I never got anything like that. I, I went with the, the, the spoon route. 
Um, I felt like it was easier than to, you know, clean those afterwards and all of that. Um, there were many times that I would just eventually give up and take a shower, um, which then adds a fair amount of time because you're then dealing with getting out of the shower and drying yourself. Never mind the sheer exhaustion of trying to dry yourself. So think about that. When you're taking a shower as an average sized person, you're sometimes taking a shower to get refreshed. A shower for me at 540 pounds was never refreshing because the aftermath of that shower, the aftermath of getting out and having to dry myself and go through all of that was exhausting. So I'd end up sweating again. And that's why when you're a big person, I know a lot of people will know this, um, you shower more than once a day. You do it as often as you can because you don't want anyone to, God forbid, talk about the fact that you're the, the fat, smelly person. And you know that that's a stereotype that's out there. So you do everything you can to protect yourself against that deodorant, powder, multiple showers, everything you can do. And there are sometimes, especially if I was having to use a public bathroom, well, one, public bathrooms sometimes were impossible depending on the size of the stalls. I had bathrooms that I just could not fit into. Um, I remember having experience of staying at a hotel, getting into my room and realizing that I could not use the bathroom at all in my hotel room. And I went to the front desk and said, I, I need, you know, do you have a different room? Um, and for that night, they weren't going to have a different room. Um, they just didn't have access. Um, the next day I was, I was able to be moved to a room that had an accessible bathroom. But for that night, um, I had to use the public bathroom in the lobby of the hotel anytime I needed the bathroom because I couldn't, I could not, the way the toilet was set up, it was kind of wedged into an alcove. I couldn't get myself into it. So there's that. I mean, that's something to think about. Um, so public bathrooms could be a challenge. If you used one, then you have to make sure that you can wipe yourself properly. I used to carry flushable wipes with me. Uh, they're very handy for keeping yourself clean and for doing your best job when you're dealing with those situations. I want you to think about what does it mean when you have to think about will you fit into the bathroom? That's one of the bigger pieces when I started at the beginning. Being too big for the world. I think that's something that comes with being in that size range and it's something we don't think about. There's the, the quote unquote funny moments like the videos, the internet videos of people breaking chairs and, and stuff like that happening. But those are everyday real concerns for people that are, that are supersized, that are fat, super morbidly obese, that are that big. If you don't like my language, I hope my intent is there enough for you to understand where I'm coming from with what I'm saying. So hygiene takes care of you at home. Then you leave your house. And leaving your house at 540 pounds is a whole nother level of challenges. One, I'd already talked about standing. Two, walking. Having the stamina to walk um, is a challenge. I, at that point, I lived on a college campus. I was a residence hall director. And we had a dining hall that was literally across the street from the building I lived in. It was kind of like up a hill a little bit across the street through a parking lot. And then you go to the dining hall. I, we got a free meal plan. I rarely ate from that meal plan because the walk to the dining hall left me a disaster. Uh, one, I, I had to try to figure out places I could stop on the way. Uh, there was an audiovisual building where I would stop and sit on the stairs, pretend to check my phone. Um, there was a student union there. Sometimes I would sneak into a bathroom there, catch my breath, because you just don't want to appear 
uh, as in bad of shape as you are. Um, and more often than not, I just said I didn't want to go. I just told people I didn't want to go. I didn't go to events. Things along those lines. Um, my car was parked right out front of the building I lived in. I was lucky to have a you know a private spot right there. Um, getting to my car was not easy. By the time I got to my car again, heaving, sweaty mess, having to rest before I could drive away, um, having to think about where I was going and where I where would I park? Would I be able to get inside? And then what happens when you get inside? If you know the layout of somewhere, you know, especially, you know, I've talked to other big people. We know when places that have seating that can accommodate us. We know places that don't. We avoid those places that don't. If I had friends suggesting we go somewhere new, often I would call in advance or drive by and try to see inside, check it out. Um, because if it was, say it was a restaurant, because usually, honestly, it was food. If it was a restaurant, are they just booths? And are those booths fixed tables? Like somewhere like a Chili's or an Applebee's. Sometimes they only have one or two tables without um, the fixed tables. You know, one or two booths without a fixed table or even chairs uh, for accessibility reasons. And on a busy night, you know they're going to be taken up. Um, so many times, one, I would have to tell people, you know, we can't sit in a booth. We have to wait for a table. And that could add a half hour to the wait time. You're inconveniencing other people. Um, I don't want to talk too much about that right now, but... You know, that inconveniencing piece is something that you think about as a person. Like, am I going to cause a problem for other people by going? And does that affect my decision to go? And whether that's real or not, because some of these things are very real and some of them are just inside of our own heads, it's something that comes up and it's something that you think about. You know, when I'm there, will I be comfortable? What is the seating like? Is it going to be comfortable enough? Because when you're living with a, a, a sheer, a severe amount of pain at times, depending on what position your body's in, it matters. Do the chairs have arms? I mean, that's one of the things that I think is pretty ironic. Most doctor's offices have chairs that have arms. So if you're a bigger person trying to go to a doctor or even to talk to them about your weight and the issues that are involved with it, you can't sit down. I mean, most bariatric surgeons now, you see, you know, bench seats in their offices and things along those lines. But even like my doctor's office now, I realize that the, the seats all have arms. Um, that's your only option. So what do you do if you can't fit into those seats? What do you do when you don't fit into the world? How do you react? How does that affect you as a person? Should it be a wake-up call? I think for some people, those things are. I think when you're so buried deeply into your addictions, whatever they are, it's hard sometimes to have that outside perspective and to know, hey, this is something I should think about. You know, this is something that, you know, should affect my life. When I was getting too big for the seats in my cars and I have the seat moved back, should that have been a red flag? When I was too large to shop at the casual mail or a DXL as they're known now, and had to order all of my clothing online from one source, king size, direct. Should that have been a red flag? When I got too fat and in too poor of shape to walk the grocery store, and that happened. At my heaviest, I never went to a grocery store, which I, I, I think might amaze some people, uh, because you think about, you know, the relationship I was having with food at that point. 
but I was mostly about drive-throughs and grocery delivery. That was when grocery delivery was first starting to become a big thing. You know, place your online order, have everything delivered. And I used it a lot. I mean, I would probably get two to three deliveries a week. Um, you always hope there'd be a different delivery driver so it wasn't the same person dropping off your massive amounts of food. Because I couldn't walk the store. Um, I got to a point that even walking holding a carriage to lean on was too much. And, I mean, some of the grocery stores did have the electronic scooters. I honestly wasn't sure how heavy they could support, and I didn't want to test it and find out. I was scared. And then I also honestly was worried that people would run into me and see me doing it and say something. And then you have to have that conversation. And when you're that big, you're good at avoiding those conversations. You're good at avoiding um, letting people bring those topics up because you don't want to face it. You don't want to talk about it. So I didn't go to the store that often. Amazon Prime had just become a thing then as well. So that was awesome because I basically used online grocery delivery and Amazon Prime to get everything I needed in the world. The only times I would go into a store was when it was an emergency. And I would even order, you know, birthday cards and gift wrap and all of those things from Amazon. You can get them. You know you can get anything on Amazon. You could back then. I would go to stores when I needed cold medicine or pain medicine that I forgot to add to my grocery shopping that I didn't realize I was going to need immediately. Um, and I remember very distinctly that there was one store that I knew had the shortest walk from the cold medicine to the cash register and the shortest walk from the parking to the inside. And I would go and sit and watch for what looked like a lull in the line, the checkout line, go in like a, a, a boulder, like the, literally like the boulder in Indiana Jones rolling downhill, um, head right to what I know I needed, usually NyQuil, um, the only one that usually helped, grab my cold medicine, get in line, pay, get back in the car and catch my breath. I remember very distinctly the time that I was in the store and the line built up while I was getting the cold medicine. Like out of nowhere, five people just jumped in line. Great. I, I attempted to stand in line and after a few minutes, it was too much. I, I was crying in pain and I had to go back out to my car. So I put the, the medicine down on a shelf nearby the front, went back out to my car and I prayed the medicine would still be there when I went back in. That CVS wasn't doing their job that day and putting things back in their proper place. I watched for the line to shrink and I immediately ran in. My cold medicine was luckily still there. I grabbed it, paid and left. And that was an experience, a terrifying experience. Because when you're that big, you don't know what will happen when you push yourself too far. Is it a heart attack? Is, are you gonna faint? Are you gonna fall over? And what happens when you fall at that size? Can someone help you up? Um, I, I did fall at that size once at, at Disneyland, not Disneyland, Disney World, um, by the pool. Um, I fell and uh, took three people to help me get up. Um, it was pretty embarrassing. But I also realized at that point that I couldn't get myself up, that if I was alone, I wasn't getting up and what would happen. So you start to think about that in every situation you're getting into. And those, I, I know in some ways I'm jumping around here. I'm trying to give you a picture of what this experience was like. 
what I want you to think about with some of these details is how each of them stays with you. Each of these experiences starts to color your worldview, starts to color how you interact with other people, starts to color with how much you go out. Something I mentioned, I, I was interviewed on a couple of podcasts before I started recording this one of my own. And a couple of times I, I, I made the statement, the bigger you get, the smaller your world gets. Think about that. The bigger you get, the smaller your world gets. Because you're not going places anymore. You're not doing things anymore. Uh, you're not trying out new experiences. You're not going on those vacations easily because you know you need more than one plane seat. You need more than one plane. You need a seatbelt extender. Um, and also at that point, if you needed two seatbelt extenders, you wouldn't be allowed to stay on the plane. I got close to that. I got close to that. Um, I filled two seats very well at my heaviest. Um, but you're going on a vacation. Is there walking involved? And you, if you can't walk, what do you do? It, it's not as easy as someone uh, I, I would think where they might be dealing with an issue that is embraced by a family um, and there isn't as much. I mean, there are some you know people that deal with physical issues that obviously deal with shame issues. I'm not discounting that. But I'm saying as a big person to admit to people that see you that your weight is impairing your ability to live your life is a near impossible thing to do because you know what they're going to say. You know the entire time what you should do. And by facing, you know, not facing those realities, you can keep it going for a little while. You can get to another meal. So in Florida, I, I went to Disney several times at my largest weight. Uh, one, I, I do at some point want to talk about doing Disney as a bigger person because there's a lot there that you can do. And I think most people have this perception that you're not going to fit on any rides. That is not true. At 540 pounds, I would say I fit on 90% of the rides at Disney World. All the parks, 90% of the rides. There's some newer stuff down there I haven't done yet because I knew I wouldn't fit. But most of the traditional rides, you're going to fit on them. And they make accommodations. You know, Disney's great. Um, big props to them. I would rent scooters. You can rent scooters in the park. But I would rent a scooter from an off-site location, so I would be sure to have one every day because they sell out. I could make sure that I got one that was a little more heavy-duty. And then I would have it at the resort so I could tour the resort. So I could get to and from my room to the food court, to the buses. Um, you haven't had any experience in your life until you're on your scooter, getting onto a bus at Disney, being lifted by a lift into the back of the bus and you're over the weight limit of the lift. So it stops working halfway up. So now you're stuck halfway between the bottom, the ground and the top of the bus where it's lifting you to. And there's a couple hundred people waiting to get to the Magic Kingdom that morning. And all eyes are on you and you deal with it. And again, like I said, these experiences affect our lives. They affect how we deal with people, how we deal with things. How did I deal with that? Well, I, what's the best way to, to talk about this? I think my head is such that I don't go, as much as I can feel the shame and be worried about feeling the shame, I often push back from it uh, to say, well, I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna kowtow to that. Um, 
So instead of having it make me think I need to do something to get myself out of that situation, I think, well, it's their, it's that person's problem. They have the problem, not me. I, I think many of us will resonate, that'll resonate with many of us with many of our issues in our lives, thinking that someone else is the problem and it's not you. Um, at 540 pounds, I definitely always thought the problems were elsewhere, that places weren't providing me accommodations, that places weren't providing me a place that I could sit. Um, all of those different pieces were, were never my fault, never my fault, never my responsibility, never had anything to do with what I put in my mouth. And I know that's something you guys want to hear about. Um, one of the biggest questions I get when I talk about doing this podcast, this episode specifically, was people wanted a little bit of a glimpse into what 540 pound gourmet used to eat. Um, I don't want to glorify it. Um, but I will tell some of my, um, my, with my friend Joel at Big J Reed on Instagram, um, he and I have commiserated about what we call our war stories or our horror stories, horror stories of, of our bigger days. He was also very large. Not anymore. Yeah. Uh, I think it's interesting. You watch my 600 pound life and the people on there talk about the fact that they don't eat that much. And they say that a lot. But then you've got this doctor that comes in, you know, Dr. Nazarden, who will always say, you're lying. You are definitely eating more than that. And then eventually the person, you know, to a side camera will be like, well, yeah, maybe I ate a little bit more than I told him. Um, I think as big people, we live that life and we like to put that up. We like to say um, that we're 500 pounds, we're eating 1500 calories a day, we're working out four times a week and nothing's happening. I think there are sometimes people have actual metabolic issues that affect our ability to lose weight or change our body mass, all of those things. I'm not saying that that's not true, but I'm saying for me, I was eating. I was eating a lot. Um, I also um, obviously was choosing probably more caloric dense foods, but I'm a great cook. Um, if you follow my Instagram at gourmet underscore goes underscore keto, you can see some of the food that I cook now. Okay, sorry about that. We had some technical difficulties. Uh, the program quit on my MacBook. Not sure why, but it did. We're back. I was talking about food, so let's get right back into that. I was talking to you about my Instagram, gourmet underscore goes keto, under, goes underscore keto, gourmet goes keto on Instagram, where I post a lot of my keto food now. I also, you know, when I was 540 pounds, I had a great history of cooking and could do some good stuff. I taken some classes and learned a lot from family and I would make things like homemade marinara with meatballs and lasagna and anything I wanted to eat I made baked macaroni and cheese uh, I was a whiz at taking the the blue box macaroni and cheese and doctoring that up with things like hamburger and extra cheese and onions and sausage and peppers and whatever you wanted to put in there make that a casserole devour that um, to me food was life it was literally my friend, my addiction, uh, my counselor, um, my stress relief, my fun. It was everything. It was literally everything. And um, at 540 pounds, you get very concerned about your food. Um, so I ate a lot at home. Um, I would get food delivered um, besides groceries, you know, fast food delivered. I would get um, pizza often, chicken wings, subs, full meals, Chinese food, Indian food. 
um, whatever I wanted to get. And I think that's something to think about. Like at that size, I, I lived by my whims. Um, my life was never about bigger picture decisions. It was about what I was going to eat next. I think that's a key thing to think about what's even, when we talk later on about what's changed in my mindset, um, think about then I was a, a slave to my appetite. So I spent a lot of time in the fast food drive-thrus. Um, I was well known at most of them. Um, my average McDonald's order. So this is going to be the order that I got every time I went to McDonald's. So this isn't a special day. This isn't a binge meal. This was my McDonald's order. And I would often get this on my way to meet people for dinner and eat it on the way. Um, I'd get four Big Macs, four Big Macs, extra cheese, extra sauce, because you need the extra sauce. And if they didn't do it, I would go back through the drive-thru and make them do it. Four Big Macs, two large fries, a 20-piece nugget with probably about four or five sauces. I loved their original mustard and their sweet and sour. Um, never really, their honey mustard was pretty good. Didn't really get much into the other ones, but I loved the sweet and sour and the original hot mustard. So I'd get those. I would also get three or four apple pies. If they were two for a dollar, I'd get four definitely. I would get myself, this was back in the days where you could get a supersized Coke. So I would get a supersized Coke. And then I would usually get a chocolate shake and a vanilla shake or two chocolate shakes. Or I had an addiction to those little sundaes with the vanilla soft serve and the caramel sauce. I'd get a couple of those. Um, you know, whatever I wanted there. That was my average McDonald's order. Was that the most I ate at McDonald's? No, not ever. Um, I remember a time I went to McDonald's and I got eight Big Macs, four large fries, and two large chocolate shakes. And I ate that. And I passed out after. Um, like I've, I've said in other interviews, um, and I, I think I mentioned in the intro episode, I clearly at my heaviest weights was dealing with um, diabetes, pre-diabetes, blood sugar issues. When you would eat that much food, your body shuts down for a bit and you, you nap. I was big into eating a lot and napping, eating a lot and napping, eating a lot and napping. And my life enabled that behavior. So I'd eat that from McDonald's. Um, I love Taco Bell. I could drop 30 to 40 at Taco Bell easy without blinking. Wendy's, I don't even want to think about how much money I spent because of the prices there. Um, my favorite Saturday afternoon snack, snack or lunch, I guess lunch. Um, I go to the movies and obviously I've brought snacks to the movies and all of that. And on the way back from the movie theater I like to go to was one of the only Popeye's chickens in Rhode Island at that time. And I would go to Popeye's chicken and get a 10 piece family meal. And now the 10 piece family meal comes with two large sides and four biscuits, or at least it did at that point. So I would get mashed potatoes and dirty rice, and then I would get another large mashed potatoes and another large dirty rice, and probably another uh, two to four biscuits. I would also grab a two liter of Coke, regular Coke, never Diet Coke. Uh, I actually have a reaction when I drink um, sodas with aspartame in them, I get, I get headaches. So it was always regular soda. And then I would also go across the way from the Popeyes 
was the only Krispy Kreme in the area, um, and I'd get a dozen donuts. Usually I'd get half glazed and half mixed, and I would go home, and I would eat the entire meal and all the donuts and finish the soda and take a nap. And I'd wake up and eat more. I mean, my, my days started at lunch usually. In the morning, it was more about getting up and getting momentum going and getting, getting to work or to a meeting or somewhere like that. Um, luckily, at that size, I lived in the building where my office was. I lived in the building where my office was. I was 20 feet down the hallway from my office, our main office. So commute was never a problem for me, luckily. I'd go home at lunchtime, have lunch in my apartment, have snacks, have snacks. I'd make a dinner in my apartment, and I would make a full meal. Um, I was joking with someone the other day, when we see family size on a box, what does that mean? Um, I, I probably was family sized. Um, specifically, the average American male, I looked this up actually, I wanted to talk about this, weighs 197 pounds now approximately. So I was 2.8 average American males at my heaviest, 2.8, which I guess is better than three. I guess you'd say that. I don't know. Maybe. Um, back to what I would eat in a day. <laughs> um, I'd make dinner and then I'd get up and then I'd go out and hang out with my students. And that's when people would go on Wendy's runs or we'd order pizza. Um, every night I was doing probably at least another two full meals at night. Plus snacks, you know, keep cookies, bags of candy. Um, I love those one pound bags of M&M peanut butter. I like them more than the M&M peanut. I'm an M&M peanut butter guy. Um, I also was a Reese's cup addict. Uh, could never get enough of those, literally. Never get enough of those, literally. Um, and the food would continue till I went to bed and probably would go to bed around somewhere between two and four o'clock in the morning. Um, we even had campus police officers who would visit us late at night and bring you a coffee and bring muffins and donuts, you know, from a, to go on a coffee run. Um, and I was always down for that. I was always down for a late night snack. Um, like I said, I lived in a college residence hall, running the residence hall. Um, students would give me food a lot. Students would go get me food a lot. Um, you build an environment there that enables these behaviors. Uh, I never wanted for anything because I could always find access. And I think that's a big question that comes up for people when they watch shows like My 600 Pound Life. Like, how do you get the food? If you can't get out of your house, how do you get the food? Delivery's great. People will get things for you. People will offer you things. Um, it happens. It really happens. Um, so, there, but there were some great experiences. I mean, I loved. Don't don't get me wrong. I loved my work. I loved working with students. Um, had some great times, and even had some great times um, in relation to my size in that experience. You know, one, you're kind of an imposing figure, so that can have a good effect. Good effect. Um, two, uh, funny things happened. Uh, you may, I, 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 I can't remember the last time I talked about this on Instagram, but I think this is a story that needs to be told. I know my friend Andrew, Cave Dad, is probably listening to this podcast, I hope. He was actually a student of mine originally. You know, pull the, pull the, the curtain back on that um, and worked for me, but also was just a student in the building at one point. And he'll remember this. So there was a night, I had a lot of college wrestlers living in my building. Uh, we just had a good... We were mostly predominantly freshman building. It was a good place for the freshman wrestlers to be. Um, and I learned at that point, 
And if any of you out there are collegiate wrestlers, you know that um, they develop a weight obsession uh, that was similar to my own. Um, so we could commiserate about food. And one, usually their in-season inability to eat it. And then when the season ended, their ability to go kind of crazy. Um, and I came out one night and there were probably five or six of them standing around one of, our, one of the tables in the lobby. And they were arguing about getting someone to do something. You know, who's going to do it? Who's going to be the one to do it? Who's going to make this happen? And I went over and I was like, what are you guys talking about? And they say, we were trying to get so-and-so to chug this two quarts of gravy that we got from Boston Market, but he won't do it. And the kid's like, I'm not doing it. I'm not chugging the gravy. And one of the kids says, oh, we were going to pay him. And I said, there's money involved. I'll chug the gravy. And so it became this experience of these students standing around me cheering as I chugged two quarts of turkey gravy from Boston Market. Let me tell you, that is salty as heck. Um, but I did it because my life at 540 pounds, um, like I said, I pushed back against the shame. I, I lived life that was almost like a freak show at times. I wasn't afraid of those experiences. Um, they bolstered my belief that I was doing what I was supposed to be doing with my life. I thought that was what my life was meant to be. Performing on command, getting $20 for chugging gravy, and then they also bought me a pizza that night. Um, I thought that was great when it happened. I look at it now and I shared some of these stories and I think, oh my God, what are these people sitting at home listening to this thinking about? And I think about that often when I share things on Instagram. You know, I'm pretty open if you follow me with almost every experience I share. And I've got some pretty epic before pictures that I share as well. Um, I think it's important to kind of pull back and talk about these things sometimes. And that's really the point of this episode. I want to give you a glimpse of what it's like for me as a 540 pound fat guy. What I went through. Um, I've talked to some other people who were that size who talk more about being kind of trapped by the shame and trapped by their fears and um, pieces that some came into play for me and some didn't. I, I think that's also that's there. That's the uniqueness to our experiences, which is really great. Um, think about that when, you, when you're meeting someone who's very large. You don't know what they're going through. You don't know what their physical capabilities are. Are they in as bad of shape as I was or can they handle things better? Um, I don't think it's healthy for anyone to be over 500 pounds. I'll put that out there. I don't think it is. I don't think anyone is meant to be over 500 pounds. I think we make choices that get ourselves there eventually. Um, and some of them are aided and abetted by metabolic issues and by diseases. But I still think there's circumstance um, involved. In, and why do I think that that's involved? Because I think about when I first started losing weight at 540 pounds, it wasn't because I had an epiphany and decided to go on a diet. It's because things were going south for me personally, and I didn't have work and I was running out of money. And when you don't have money, you don't have the same amount of food. When the food is physically taken away, your body changes. Imagine that, imagine that, that it actually could happen, that your body changes because you're not eating as much. It's not that simple, I know, for everyone. And I'd say very often that it wasn't that simple for me. The cravings for food were not gone. All of those things don't go away. But take away the food and the weight could start to go away. So I think about the years that I put in work. It's work to maintain an addiction. You know that if you face alcohol problems or drug problems or emotional issues or anger issues, 
we do things to reinforce our behaviors that you would never want to talk to another person about. There's probably things, honestly, that I'm leaving out from this podcast as open as I'm being because my head is just saying, don't talk about that. Don't let people know. So one, if you think there's things I'm not talking about that you want to know about, I'd love to hear from you on Instagram. DM me. Like I said, gourmet goes keto, gourmet underscore goes keto. Um, I, I, I want to open this door so you can know what, what happens. So like I said, there was never an aha moment for me that, that caused me to change my weight, that derailed the train. I honestly thought I was going to end up on a TLC special. Andrew and I used to joke about him needing a, a pickaxe to break the wall to get me out of my apartment. And we would literally joke about that a lot. Because I think we both thought it was coming someday. Um, I had a friend, a good friend, uh, send me a letter once saying that they couldn't watch me kill myself with food anymore. Did that stop? Did that stop me? No, I pushed back. I pushed back being the obstinate bastard that I am. I was approached in public by strangers begging me to get help. Strangers who would see me in public having trouble walking and breathing, who would come over and say, I know where you've been. I've been there. This is my picture from when I was heavier. Get help. And I wouldn't. I told you the story about me on the scooter at Disney World. I loved Disney. I still love Disney parks. If you want to talk about that, DM me. We'll talk about Disney. But that didn't make me change. Not fitting somewhere didn't make me change. Knowing there were people's houses I couldn't go to didn't make me change. Knowing that friends didn't want me in their car because they were worried about me breaking their car. And that didn't make me change. I could have broken a car. I broke car seats before. I, I want you to, 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 let's bring this back around. I've been talking for a while. Let's come back around to life at 540 pounds is, is bigger and more ponderous, more heavy than you think in metaphoric and literal ways. Um, so think about that when you're dealing with someone, when you're a coach working with someone who's very large when you're someone who's very large yourself and you're thinking that no one else understands those moments you're having, those moments where your desperation for food or to, for comfort is stronger than your desire to live a normal life. And I know that's going to get me all kinds of pushback, throwing the normal word around. Um, but there's nothing normal about life at 540 pounds. I did a lot of normal things. I worked. I paid bills. I did all those things. But there's nothing normal about life at 540 pounds. And you'll never convince me of that. So don't try. I really hope that this gives you a glimpse into what my life was like at 540 pounds. It's really a jump, a jump all over the place snapshot. I think I covered most of everything that I wanted to cover today. Um, I don't, you know, there's, there's other issues like that I think I'll, I'd like to focus on other discussions with, with some guests talking about the choices we make when we're that big um, and how they impact your life even when you make change. How do those choices still resonate and, and stay with you? I think that'll be interesting to talk about. And then just talk about the logistics of moving through life on your journey um, when you put yourself on hold for that many years. Again, something I think it'll be good for us to talk about. 
in the next episode of this podcast, episode three, I want to talk about what it's like to lose a massive amount of weight, to lose over 300 pounds. This episode was not at all about dieting, exercise, losing weight, anything along those lines. I wanted it to be about the experience of being 540 pounds to give you that picture. Up next, we're going to talk about what it means to tackle that weight loss problem and what I think are some things that you can do. So there you go. That was episode one of, well, the first real episode of the podcast. Up next, we're going to segue right into the follow-up to that one. And I think it makes sense to link these two episodes together. So I hope you're getting something out of this if you are a new listener. So this episode is something I get asked about a lot. So I'm excited to talk to you all about it. And I hope it'll it'll give you some of my experience and some of my thoughts and ideas for you. The title of this episode, which I have a, a, an outline for this one because I want to make sure I cover everything, is, so you want to lose 300 pounds. I am someone who has lost, from my heaviest weight, 300 pounds twice in my life now. Once in 2013, I got down to 210 pounds, which from my height of 540 was a 330-pound loss. And now I am 230 pounds, so I'm 310 down from my heaviest. It's, it's different than, than losing 10 pounds or 20 pounds. What I want to say at the outset isn't that having to lose a ton of weight versus not as much or whatever doesn't make the experience any more challenging for a person, doesn't make it any harder for them as an individual. But there are different issues to talk about. So I want to explore that a little bit today. I want us to be able to get into it a little bit together. And I want to share with you some of the things I've learned over my quote-unquote dieting career. Um, As I mentioned in the intro episode to this podcast, I've tried many, many, many diets over my lifetime. I've lost weight. I've gained weight. I've lost weight. I've gained weight. It started with my very first time on Weight Watchers when I was 10. And from there, I did Weight Watchers. I did the Carb Addicts Diet. I did Deal a Meal. I did a modified version of Atkins. I did Paleo. I did Paleo Low Carb. I did Low Carb in general. I did Dirty Keto. I did Lazy Keto. And now I'm working with a coach on a stricter keto protocol. So I've tried a lot of different diets, and there's probably more out there that I'm forgetting. And maybe someday we'll dive into that. Today, though, I want to talk about what it means to have to lose 300 pounds or more, or 200 pounds. Um, The perspective when you're starting is different. Uh, there's, There's a mountain, literally, built around you that you have to change, and you have to see as possible to change. And for most people that are in the four, five, six hundred or more pound range, we, we don't see it as possible. Um, when I lost all the weight in 2013 and regained it very rapidly, I, I thought I had just been fated to be a very fat man my entire life. That that was what I would be. I had no choice. And it was out of my control. And I think that was the wrong perspective for me to have. But I think it's one that a lot of much larger people have. One, you think about the fact that you have to get all of that weight off your body to reach a weight that is considered quote-unquote normal. 
or allows your body to function in a healthy manner. It doesn't mean that you're ever going to be thin. You're ever going to be someone of a quote unquote average size, but you can get down to a smaller size to allow metabolic issues to heal. You can get off medications. You can make your heart stronger, all of those things, your body stronger. But when you're in that place of being that heavy, possibly like I was severely addicted to food and addicted to that life, set up in that life, enabled to continue that life, it's hard to see it as possible to make the change. I, I like to describe it as um, you're an immovable object. It's a little on the nose, I know, as far as metaphors go. It's not colorful. Um, but they talk about immovable forces. Uh, no, immovable objects and irresistible forces coming together at different points in the universe. And to me, when you are the proverbial immovable object, when you feel stuck at your weight, and this can apply to anyone, but I, I think specifically when you have a massive amount of weight to lose, it's about finding the irresistible force that is going to help you get that object moving. So what do I mean? I think we, we've seen a lot of people talk about whys, like what is your why? Finding your why, living your why. It's fun to stay at the why, I don't know, whatever. Whatever people say. But it's, it's important to, to find something that gets you motivated to start. Does that mean that's going to be the force that sustains you all the way through your journey? Possibly not. Possibly not. It could be that it's just your why now, not your why forever. But thinking about that is important. So how do you do it? How do you, how do you figure out your why? Um, sometimes it's very basic. I think it, sometimes it is something that you know already and you need to face. It can be something big. For some people, it's a triggering event, like a medical episode, a heart attack, a diagnosis of diabetes, um, a diabetes diagnosis that eventually you get told you're going to lose a foot. Um, that's real. Look at that. Look that up if it's not something you've heard about before. Um, diabetic amputation. It doesn't happen to everyone, but it's possible. Circulation issues, all of that. Um, being told by a doctor that you're facing your mortality can be a big why for someone. Others come to it more metaphysically. Um, you realize that you know you, your purpose in life is more than eating. That was a big one for me. Um, I thought my purpose in life was just shoveling in food and waiting to die. Um, and when I, when I lost weight the first time, the first massive weight loss, before I, every diet I tried, it was because um, I thought other people wanted me to lose weight. Uh, whether that was family pressure, being put on diets as a child, um, knowing that I was going to see family and be judged, any of those things um, motivated me. And obviously, it never worked. Um, those motivations never worked. Um, in the 2012 range, when I started to come down from 540 pounds, uh, my motivation had more to do with the fact that I didn't have a job. I had no job. I, I was lose. I lost my way to support myself, and I knew, realistically, that most employers don't want to look at someone who's 540 pounds, sweating just from standing, and hire them, especially in a position where other people are going to interact with them. 
It's just, it's a sad, true reality. So for me, that was that motivation that time. And throughout that journey, I lost weight, I found work, I got into a position, and I didn't keep the weight off. Um, there were parts of my brain that just didn't change. I didn't work on, I didn't think about. Um, I got back up to 480 pounds is the highest that I know of. I may have been higher than that. I just never really checked at that point. Um, and when I started my weight loss journey again in February of 2017 though, uh, I, I had truly my, my own personal weight loss epiphany, my own life epiphany. Um, it had to do with some situations in my family um, involving children and custody and my parents getting involved with raising some children um, years after they had raised us. And um, in one of the conversations about that situation happening, my dad mentioned um, to me, you know, we're at some point, you know, your, your, your stepmom and I aren't going to be around. For, for these girls and we might need you to be and it wasn't something where he was talking to me about my weight or health or any of those things um really it wasn't but to me i went home that night and i thought about it and and realized the way i'm living right now um, one i couldn't help with the physical care of these children at all because i can barely take care of myself and two I needed to be around. At that point in my life, I had just assumed I would die in a few years, um, that I wouldn't be around anymore. Um, I had written a letter to my family um, to keep by my bed, just in case I didn't wake up, because I thought that was a reality that could happen. And in this moment, it wasn't about me realizing that other people needed me to lose weight, but that other people needed me. And there's a difference there. There's a difference. I realized that my life was more. My life meant more. And my life had a greater purpose. And whether any of that ever comes into play or happens or anything, it has nothing to do with, with, with the journey I'm on, really, at the end of the day. Um, I, in that moment, I, I saw the bigger picture. And what it did for me was it flipped a switch inside of my head. It gave me my why of wanting to live. I want to live. I've, I've posted that on Instagram a lot. Um, I used to story about it a lot, especially when I was getting back into this journey in 2017. Um, I want to live. Hashtag I want to live. I want to fight to live. And that's what I do. And that's what I did. When I first started losing weight again, there were challenges, the mental challenges, the physical challenges, all of it. But I knew I had to fight. I had that why in my head. It was there. I want to live. Think about that. Do you want to live? Is it that basic for you? And I'm speaking now to the people who are listening who are 200, 300, 400 pounds overweight. Because you know at that point your weight is threatening your life. Do you have children? Do you have other family around? Do you have friends? Do you work a job that relies on you? What are you doing to make sure that you're going to be there? That's just something to think about. Now, that might not be your why. For yourself, you have to think about, is it something different? Is it something not as deep? 
Is it that deep? Is it deeper? I'm not saying I'm the end-all be-all by any means. By any means. <clears throat> Excuse me. But I will say that identifying your why is very important and keeping it in focus. Don't let it go away. Don't let it fade. That's what I've done before. I've had my why in focus. I've done it for as long as I felt I kept it in focus as long as I felt I needed to while I was losing weight. And then I let it slip. And then I forgot. Then I felt good and felt like my body could move and that everything was fine. So why worry anymore? And I felt right back into my old patterns. The old me, the old gore me is sitting inside waiting, waiting for an opportunity to come back out waiting for an opportunity to take the wheel. And by keeping my why in focus, I keep him in check. I remember that every choice that he makes takes me one further step away from life. I say that slowly and methodically because it is true. It's not hyperbole. It's not exaggeration. It's not me being dramatic for you all to hear. It's true. I was killing myself with food. I was taking my life away with food and the choices I made with food. And I didn't want to do that anymore. So I made a change. And I started, even though I didn't know exactly where I was going and what I was doing yet, I started. I got moving. And now I want to talk to you a little bit about how you lose 300 pounds. Now, you know me, you know that I'm the keto guy um, hosting this podcast. <coughs> I'm Gourmet Goes Keto on Instagram. I have keto in the name there. It doesn't define everything I do or everything in my experience, but it's a focus for me right now, obviously, because it helps me maintain my journey and keep it going. But I, I'm not here today to tell you that keto is for you, that you need to do keto, um, not to proselytize proselytize about keto or anything like that. I want to talk more basic. I want to talk more big picture. I want to talk about how you sitting there right now at 500 pounds, 540 pounds. So Gourmet, if you're out there, listen. Just listen. Listen to what I have to say. Maybe you'll disagree with me. And the first thing I want to say is don't listen to me. Okay, that's an oxymoron. I just told you to listen and now I'm telling you not to listen to me. What I mean is... Don't think that every word I say about weight loss is a gospel for you. Don't think that everything I eat is what you should eat. I think the most important thing that we need to do as people who want to get ourselves out of that impossible place is figure out what is going to work for us. And to do that, before you can make a decision, you need to think about how you eat, what you like to eat, how you move, how you don't like to move. You need to think about all of those different pieces and do some research. Happens all the time. I get DMs on Instagram where people say, tell me how to keto. Tell me how to lose weight. I'm 500 pounds. I've never been on a diet before. I don't know what to do. Tell me how to do it. And I want to tell someone exactly what to do. I do. Believe me. It's hard not to say, this is exactly what you should eat. But I know that that's not going to help that person. I know in the end, that is not what is truly needed. What is needed is guiding that person to resources where they can realize that not only can Gourmet do this, they can do it themselves. 
I think it's about building a knowledge base for yourself so you feel like you know how to handle challenges that come along. So research is a big part of the weight loss journey, especially an extreme weight loss journey. It's not about knowing what boxes to check on a meal plan. And I know, I know there's someone listening right now who's getting mad at me saying this, who's saying, yes, I just want a, a meal plan that'll get me to lose 300 pounds. I just want you to tell me, Gourmet, tell me what to do. I can't. I can't. I can tell you about some great people that offer different plans. I can tell you about different philosophies. I can talk to you about food quality, nutrient density. I can talk to you about the impact of carbs on your body, especially if you have blood sugar issues, whether you're pre-diabetic or diabetic. I can talk to you about fasting. I'm fasting right now. But I can't tell you specifically what to do. And I think that's scary. I think that's terrifying to some people. Because if a doctor, I'm not a doctor, but if a doctor can't tell you specifically what to do and be successful, and someone who's lost 300 pounds can't tell you specifically what to do, how can you figure it out? So we start with research. The questions to ask when you're looking into different diet plans and ways of eating is, can I sustain this? A weight loss journey doesn't have an end. That was one of my big mistakes. I thought that once you hit your goal weight, things were done. It happened when I was a kid. My very first time on Weight Watchers when I was 10, I hit goal weight and my family celebrated. And then they stopped paying attention to what I was eating because they thought I was cured. They thought I was done. And I ballooned. And within a few years, my weight had almost tripled from where it was at the low point on that diet. I was 110 pounds um, in seventh grade. And by 10th grade, I was closer to 350. So clearly, I missed a step. I missed something. So don't miss that for yourself. Think about what you can live with. I was listening to a podcast today, and they were talking about eat now how you want to eat for the rest of your life. And while I think, I don't agree 100% because I think we make changes to, to get our, our bodies working again and to regulate hormones and do a lot of things to try to help us reach our weight loss goals, you need to think about how you're going to eat for the rest of your life, how you want to eat for the rest of your life so that you can live the rest of your life. For me, that is keto. For me, I, I find keto sustainable. I like the food. Um, I find creativity in it. I love how I feel. I love how my body responds. So I know, and that may mean that I incorporate carbs somewhere down the line. I may, you know, use them in different places, up the level from where I'm at now. But I need to do that in a way that is, is well thought out and I pay attention. I need to think about what is sustainable because I have no intentions of regaining. And I, I, it's probably easy for me to sit here and say that. And it's probably easy for you to listen and say, yeah, in six months, this dude is going to be big again. Or in a year or two years or three years. Statistically, it's true. But I don't believe that. I don't believe it for myself anymore. And I think that's an important part of this. I, I feel like I figured out the secret for myself and that secret is to stay conscious and to stay aware of what I need to do for the rest of my life to be sustainable. So there's that cliche, it's a lifestyle, not a diet. I think you need to build a lifestyle. You need to look at what are you doing that is enabling your behavior? 
Who's bringing you the food? If you can't go get it yourself, who is bringing you the food? Think about that. That's a hard question. They ask it all the time on my 600 pound life. Who's bringing the food? If you're not moving your body, what can you do to start moving your body? What can you do to make that movement a part of your life? So think about that. How does it become something that becomes second nature and not something you have to approach with such methodical precision every day that you can't live the rest of your life? I don't know if that makes sense. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe that thought isn't really well formed. But I, I want you to think about, because to me, a diet implies an end period. I know there's people out there who are going to say, semantics, gourmet, semantics. Diet is just the way you eat. And every person on the planet is actually on a diet. They just eat different diets. You know, animals all have diet. We talk about the diet of animals. Animals aren't trying to lose weight. So, you know, if you can for yourself take away that connotation, find your best diet. But if you can't take away the permanently being about weight loss with an endpoint definition of the word diet, think about finding a lifestyle that'll help you reach your goals. What are your goals? What is your why? Keeping that why in focus. What's going to help you get there? What tools do you need? So it's about finding your plan. Are you someone who gravitates more to low carb eating do you feel better do you have blood sugar issues that would be helpfully addressed by eating low carb or keto so maybe that's something to consider are you someone who eats a lot of crap processed food and maybe going to more of a whole food paleo lifestyle might make some dramatic changes for you that you can sustain or are you someone that that needs something that's even more structured so that because you don't know what to do so do you need a plan where someone you work with a coach i work with a coach right now because I feel like that's what I need. Um, I did a year, I'm, I've been keto for two and a half years. A year and a half of that time, I did not work with a coach. I did more of a dirty, lazy keto approach. And then I realized it wasn't working for me anymore and I needed help. What tools do you need to have to help you figure out what plan works best for you? Is something like Weight Watchers with structured meetings something that would be helpful? Are you someone who might benefit from Overeaters Anonymous. Um, Overeaters Anonymous isn't necessarily a weight loss group. Um, they work more, you know, towards dealing with those overeating behaviors, you know, from a 12-step point of view. Um, what are the tools that you need to help you take your why and make it reality? So now with someone who has 300 pounds to lose, it's easy to just pick a diet. It's easy just to say, I'm going to try this one. And really, at the end of the day, any diet is going to work if you follow it. That's a cliche, too. It's true. It really is true. I could lose weight on Weight Watchers again if I wanted to. Would I be hungry all the time? Probably. I know how I react to eating the way that that program is planned. Or it was then. I know I'm going to have all kinds of new people who are, you know, doing the new plan. Say, you could do this X, you can do X, Y, and Z. I understand. I'm just speaking from my frame of reference. But having a plan that you're going to start with is really important. And that's the key, I think. That's the key when you have that much weight to lose is don't get so bogged down in research that you get paralysis by analysis and don't do anything. You need to start. You need to start. Does that mean going cold turkey? If you're the person that responds to that, do it. I am. I clean my house out 
the night before I start a diet and I'm on it the next day. I don't do a slow transition because to me, a slow transition allows for backsliding. And I honestly think someone who deals with severe eating issues also should think about that. Keeping around those foods in small quantities that you know trigger you and cause problems, is that smart? Think about it. Answer these questions for yourself as you're trying to pick what plan you want to start with. But pick a day and start. Don't wait till Monday. I mean, if it is Sunday and you're going to start tomorrow, that's fine. But if it's Tuesday and you're just listening to this, don't wait till Monday. Start. Get going. Take the plan that you're going to do and start it. My advice, give that plan 30 days, whatever it is, whatever it is, 30 days, no less. You might not even see the results you want that first week. Give it 30 days because in 30 days, you're going to have a whole month worth of how am I feeling? Where's my weight at? Where are my other numbers at? If you're someone, you know, testing blood sugar, things along those lines, how is this working? What might I need to change? And then if you want to make a drastic change then or a slight tweak, make some changes, course correct, assess how they're working and go another 30 days. Think about that. Think about taking that amount of time. Sometimes we, we want to give a diet 10 days and if it doesn't work in 10 days, we're done. I, I don't think we adapt in 10 days. You're definitely not. If you're, if you're going the keto route, you're definitely not fat adapted in 10 days. You're not, your body is not switched over to complete fat burning at that point. You're not feeling all the benefits and the changes that you'd feel 30 days minimum assess. Know that this is going to be a long haul, a long road. When I restarted keto in or started keto in February of 2017, I was 470 pounds. So I'm down 240 pounds right now in two and a half years. That's great. But two and a half years is still two and a half years. And then you look at someone who has 10 pounds to lose and you know that in 60 days they might be done with that phase of their journey. Know that it didn't take 30 days to gain the weight. It's not going to take 30 to lose it. And it sucks. It sucks. We can gain, especially as super morbidly obese people, we can gain weight in a blink of an eye. Blink of an eye. I did it. In 2013, when I got down to 210 pounds, I went off the rails hard, hard for six months. And I gained 270 pounds in less than six months. It was the beginning of May 2013 to the beginning of, of October 2013. I've got pictures to prove it if you don't believe me. You know, you can interview my family. They, they saw it happen. The weight can come back fast. I threw away that 330 pounds of weight loss in six months. So it can happen fast. But the weight loss takes longer. It does. That's reality. That's our reality. That's the reality we face as very heavy people who have a lot to lose. But, but the, here's the great thing about it all. It's not like you have to get from point A to point Z on your journey before you feel better, before you can move better, before things become easier. It happens along the way. It's a journey that happens in stages. 
And being aware of that and thinking about your goals along the way, I think is the other component. So we've talked so far about finding your why, doing your research, picking your plan and starting. Those are important. I wanna talk to you a little bit about goals, a little about setting goals, how you can set goals when you have that much weight to lose without getting overwhelmed. I hope this will be helpful because if your goal, the only goal you have is lose 300 pounds, that's your goal, that's great. How long is it gonna take for you to get to that goal? It's easy when you start, the adrenaline's there, you can keep that goal in focus. You could probably keep that goal in focus for six months. Easy. You could do it. Trust me. I've done it. You could do that. But then at six months, your old patterns are there, your old desires, your hungers, physical and mental are there. And you're thinking, okay, now I have 250 pounds to lose, but I want to get to 300 pounds lost feels like I'm never going to get there. And then you open that door to doubt. You open that door to allow the hope to slip away. And you open the door to regaining the weight and falling back into your old patterns. You're probably sitting there saying, no, I wouldn't do that. Or you're sitting there more than likely saying, I've done that before. So keep your big picture goals in mind. Lose 300 pounds. Fit into a booth at a restaurant. Walk the mall without pain. Shop at any clothing store. Oh, goodness, that's amazing. Let me tell you, that is truly amazing. Those are great big picture goals. But maybe first, you set smaller goals. Get to that first 10 pounds. Lose 50 pounds. Build up to 20 minutes on the treadmill. Heck, get to your weight low enough so you can use the treadmill at the gym. That was one of my first big smaller goals. When I started... I mean, aside from the fact that I could barely walk at all, I, I wanted to be able to use the treadmill at the gym and I stepped on one and it stopped moving. And I stepped on another one and it stopped moving. They didn't have the capacity to carry me. I got onto some of the weight machines and I could not fit my body into the space needed. So I knew in my head, I wanna to get to the point that I can use these machines. I wanna be able to use them so that they can be tools added to my belt to help me. I wanted to fit better in a car. I wanted my clothes to fit better. I didn't want to be out of breath walking in from my car in the morning at work. I want to be able to not think about food 24 hours a day. Think about what your goals are. Build big ones and build small ones. Build weekly goals. Build daily goals. Daily goals. Stick to the plan. Set up your plan, stick to it every day, and congratulate yourself at the end of that day, no matter what, if you did it. And then commit the next day to doing it again. We're talking about consistency in a little bit. But think about how your goals don't all have to be shining superstar moments that you feel are there long off in the future. They can be smaller pieces. If your goal is to eventually fit into one plane seat, that was one of mine. But at first, it was to be able to get to the plane without feeling like I was going to die. Without feeling like I needed oxygen. Without being in pain. Pull the goals back a little bit. 
think big picture, write down big picture, write big picture, and then write little picture. And think about how you can break those goals down so that you build manageable progress that you can see. And even if not everyone else can see it, because that's gonna be true at first too. When you're very heavy and you're losing weight, sometimes the physical changes aren't immediately noticeable to people, nor to yourself, specifically to yourself. So you wanna think about things that will help you realize that you're still making progress. And that can be weight loss. That can be physical activity. That can be about fitting clothes, having a shirt that you outgrew that you wanna get back into, all of those things. I buy, I'm known for buying goal shirts. I love having goal shirts. I have them in all sizes and I've had to get rid of some of my bigger ones. Um, the funny thing is I've even bought some goal shirts that I, I skipped the size on them. Um, I started this time around in a 7X, a tight 6X, and now I'm an extra large. I had goal shirts all along the way. I had 4Xs, 3Xs, 2Xs. Um, some of those things help, they help me. I actually keep some of them hanging up on hangers in my bedroom so I can look at them and remember that that's a goal. But they weren't always an extra large hanging up. It was a 4X. It was a 3X. It was a 2X. I, I took it in steps. I realized that the journey is as important as the end point. So when you're setting goals, think about that. Think about where you want to get to eventually and think about the road you need to take to get there and what's gonna help you stay motivated on that role, on that road. So goals, set goals. And be consistent with your goals. Be consistent with your plan. Be consistent with your activity. Be consistent with your food. If, if that's the one word you take away from me talking today about how you lose 300 pounds, it's consistency. It is not one specific diet. It's not one specific calorie level for every person. It's not one specific set of macros. It is consistency. And, and I hope that makes some sense, but if it doesn't, just think about it. You need to be consistent. Um, this is where I, I get controversial to some people I'm not a fan of cheat meals or cheat days. I'm not at all, especially for people that have food addiction or huge amounts of weight to lose. I think those are the opportunities for us to let our old behaviors come back out. We just can't control them as well as other people. I can't, and I don't think you can either. I think that's something people have to admit to themselves that sometimes those cheats get out of control. And some people can come back from it, and I applaud the heck out of them. And if you're one of those people, that's great. But if you're like me, you know that a cheat meal opens a door that you don't want to walk through. You don't. Heck, even a small cheat to me, uh, I haven't cheated since I started working with my coach in October of 2018. But before then, I would do small off-plan cheats or overeat on keto foods. And I knew that they were going to re-spark the hunger, the desire to eat more, all of that inside of me. And it would mean days of white knuckling through the meals to come. I used to say that a lot to people. How do you, how do you succeed at, at weight loss? I grip my hands on the edge of the chair and I hold on for dear life every time I eat. Every bite of food sparks a fire inside of me. And honestly, that's changed a lot 
the past couple months. My relationship with food has changed, but that's where I was at. Even eating a diet meal, even eating a salad with grilled chicken on top of it, I would want more. So I needed to be consistent in my plan and not give myself the leeway to screw up. Because when I did, that's when things would go wrong. And things go horrifically wrong in my case. And I've seen it happen to other people. I've seen friends lose 300 pounds and regain all of that weight. I've seen friends lose 400 pounds and regain all of that weight. And then I've seen people do that and die. And I don't want you to die. I don't want to die. I want to live. I said that before and I mean it. So maybe not all of this is coming out right. And, and I'm not giving you some magic plan. I'm not trying to. I want to just give you hope that it is possible for you to make these changes, that you can do it. Listen to me. I said don't listen to me, but I want you to listen to me again now. Come back in. Come back into the room. Sit down. We're going to talk for a minute. I need you to listen. I need you to know that it is possible for you to make these changes and for you to save your life. You. You don't need someone else to save your life. You might need other people to help. Because I know some of you are probably going to look at like a surgery route or something along those lines. And if that's the tool that you need, use the tools that you need. But remember, there's no magic buttons out there. You still have to do the work. So do the work. Be consistent. Take it one choice at a time if you have to. I had many days where I had to do that. I couldn't see a full day of success ahead of me, so I went every half hour, every 15 minutes at a time making good choices. And when I made one good choice, I decided I wanted to make another one after that. So I made another one. Let them snowball. Let them become your normal. If doing one day seems impossible, you're a human being. I, I saw a meme today that said, You've lived through all the worst days of your life so far, so congratulations. If you've lived through your worst days, you did it. So think about that. You've lived through that worst day. So yes, a day of a diet might seem like it's another worst day, but you can get through a day. You get through one, and you go to bed at night, and you commit to getting through another tomorrow. That's what it takes. That is literally what it takes every day telling yourself you can do it again. So don't ever say to yourself, I can't do this. You can do this. I believe in you. I believe that you can do this. Because like I like to say, you're amazing. You're amazing. So amaze yourself. Think about what I've talked about. Think about what you need to do to get yourself started. And heck, amaze yourself. Make some changes. If you have to make small ones at first, make the small ones you need to make. If you're ready to make some big changes, heck, make those bigger changes. I have faith in you, and I want you to have faith in yourself. I want you to know through consistency, through planning, through knowing your goals and your why, through doing your research, you can arm yourself for this war. And this is a war. Don't think it's not. Don't think it's not a battle to lose 300 pounds, 200 pounds, heck, 50 pounds. It is a battle. There are parts of yourself inside that you're going to have to fight no matter what. And you'll do it. You'll do it. As long as you're consistent, you realize that you're going to need different tools at different times, be ready to change that plan when it stops working. 
And it doesn't mean it stops working because the plan is bad. Most of the time it stops working because we're not following it exactly as we were before, or something has changed with us that makes that plan not the best for us anymore. Don't give up then, find a new tool. Always be looking for new tools. Keep that research going. Understand your plan, talk to other people. Heck, here is my biggest tip for losing 300 pounds. Right now, right now, get on Instagram. Get on Instagram, start an account, and start documenting what you're doing. Talk to people. I'm gonna tell you, there's a lot of support groups on Facebook and some of them are really awesome. Most of them I find are not. For me, it's Instagram. Instagram is where I live. It's where a lot of successful people I know I live right now. I live, they live right now. So it's a great tool. And maybe it won't be the right one for you, but I'd love for you to check it out. I'd love for you to say hi to me. Find me at gourmet underscore goes keto and talk to me. I'll help any way that I can. I'll direct you to any resources, but like I said, I can't tell you what to do. I can just share my experience and hope that you might get something out of it to help you. And that's really what this episode was about. Talking through what the process I went through to reach where I am now. And, and I will say it again. I'll say it again because it's important for me as a part of my goals. Um, I'm in the place I need to be. I'm in the part of my journey I need to be at. I am succeeding. And that sounds arrogant as heck. And it sounds arrogant to me when I say it. And when people say, you're doing so great, I always, I, my response has always been, I'm trying. I'm trying. Because I at first I thought saying I'm trying means that, you know, I know I'm not there yet, but I'm trying. But really, at the end of the day, trying means you're not quite to success yet. Because I defined that as hitting a weight loss goal. No. Every day I do this, I'm successful. Every meal I properly prepare, I am successful. Every discussion I have with someone about what I'm doing, I'm a success. You can be a success too. We just need to find that trick to stay successes for as long as we can. So that's what we're doing. That's what I'm doing. And I know you can too. So if you're out there, please reach out to me if you want to talk. There's a ton of other people on Instagram that are really great too. And on any resource that you use. But make sure you don't just try to approach this alone. Build your plan, find your why, be consistent. That's all I got to say to you this week. Thank you for listening to the thank you for listening to the Fat Guy Forum one more time. Whatever device you're listening to this on, please leave a review. That'd be really helpful to me. And like I said, come follow me on Instagram. Let's talk. Take care of yourselves, everybody. Don't forget, you're gonna do this. I know it. And there we have a special flashback to those two first episodes. I hope you got something out of that revisiting the beginning if you haven't listened to them before or if you tried to and the sound was awful and so you're visiting them again. I hope you uh, got something out of it this time. So thank you, my friends. And as you've now heard me say a couple times, don't forget to go out there, do something to amaze yourself today because you're the most amazing people I know. Then come on back and catch us here on the Fat Guy Forum. And don't forget, you can also connect with me on Instagram at GourmetGoesKeto. You can reach out to me at thecuterroad.com, and I will be talking to you real soon. Mm-hmm.